Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. So we do invite you to remain standing as we hear the reading of God's Word. Today our scripture comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. These are the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we pray that your truth, your light would shine upon us today as we experience your mercy and goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like uh, probably a lot of you, uh, last Saturday when the tornado sirens went off, um, I had, we had one of those Oklahoma experiences, right? Now when the tornado sirens go off, um, um, we all have our own way of coping with those sirens and choosing what kind of Oklahoman we're going to do. Um, some of you are uh, super Okies, which means that when the sirens go off, you go out and you look. And you think, oh, that's not going to hit me. That's way over there. You know, you film it on social media. Um, I came across a video of a tornado, a guy, you know, like it came like right up his back porch and he stayed outside the whole time. Uh, there, you know, there, there's some of you who you are like that. Others of you, you know, as soon as the tornado siren goes off, you just hide out into wherever your safe place is immediately. Um, others of you, you're just glued to the news, all right? When they tell you exactly what street it's on, you're like, okay, that's three blocks away. I'm perfectly fine right where I am. Um, again, we all have one of those Oklahoma experiences, whatever it might be. Now, uh, so we happened to be at my parents' house uh, last uh, Saturday when the sirens went off, and um, so we all crowded into their, their tornado shelter. Now, before we, we went in, I, the boys had their Nintendo Switch with them, this video game system, and I said, why don't you go ahead and bring that in with you? Not because I thought that they were going to play it while we were in there, but I just knew that if uh, that, that was something that was important to them and it would give them comfort because I remembered when I was in high school um, living in Owasso, um, we, had, uh, we had some neighbors a couple doors down that said, if there's ever a tornado, um, you all are welcome to come to our shelter. Some of you may be those neighbors. Some of you may have those neighbors. Um, and so one evening, the, the sirens went off and the news said it was close. And so um, the whole neighborhood, it seemed like, 
gathered in this, uh, this little cellar that our, our neighbors two doors down had. Now, when my parents said, Aaron, it, we, need to, we need to go, um, I thought, well, what am I going to do? Um, and I thought, okay, well, if our whole house gets destroyed, what do I need to keep? So um, I, I, had a, I, had, I collected sports cards um, at that time. And so I thought, well, I've got to get my Joe Montana rookie card, my Jerry Rice rookie card, some of my Michael Jordan cards that are worth money and valuable and all that kind of stuff. And so I carried with me into the storm shelter my most important possessions, stuff that I could not do without that now are just sitting up in my attic for decades, right? What was most important to me is now has the potential of being destroyed by moss up in my attic. Now, my Joe Montana rookie card's still by my bed. Let's not get crazy here, all right? But most of my other cards and all this other stuff that I used to spend my money on and time on is just sitting up there wasting away. And so when Jesus says these words, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. What is it that you truly treasure? What is it that is most important to you? Because that, what is most important to you, is what will consume your heart. Um, Last weekend was a a big weekend in the Tiger family. Not only did we have the tornado siren that went off, um, not only did I preach about sex, but also we had a garage sale. Um, and garage sales are like these weird emotional experiences um, for, for people. Because there's a part of me that when, when people would come and they say, you know, how much is this? They're like, I'm like, it's a dollar. And they're like, oh, I'll gladly pay a dollar for this thing. And I think, haha, suckers, I would have given it to you away for free if you just would have asked, right? Like, I, thank you for just hauling the stuff I don't want away there. But then there's a part of me that was like, but I'm really the sucker because I paid $15 for that thing, and now you get it for a dollar. But there is something to be said about having money that comes from a garage sale. I I brought some of the cash with me, all right? Uh, You know, it's just a good feeling when people are handing you this cash. You know, we had two days. We had Friday and Saturday. And, uh, and we told the boys they'd get a portion of the proceeds. And so after they saw how much money they made on Friday, they were very eager to get rid of some of their stuff, even more stuff, on Saturday. So it was a, a great gift to us. But there's something about money that just kind of has control of us, right? When, especially when people hand us cash. There's just a really good feeling about it. I used to think that money was neutral. But... I don't really believe that anymore. Because you guys think I'm crazy right now. It's only a dollar bill. I mean, just, I've been preaching long enough to know when people are sort of like worried. And you guys are worried about me. And and I know some of you might be thinking, Aaron, what can I do with this? You could have done some good with that. Life could have, you could have spent something. But the truth is, is that you had an emotional response to seeing money being burned. And you thought, who would do that? Why would you do that? That is not okay. Wasting a dollar like that when you all spent $5 on a drink before you came to church, right? You spend $4.99 on subscriptions that you're not even sure what they are anymore. You go and spend that on uh, golf balls, 
You go and you buy clothes that you only wear once. You buy a video game or a movie that you end up never watching or playing. I think I've hit most of us by now. It's easy for us to waste money, but when we see it, it hurts our hearts. And so that tells us that money is not neutral, that actually money is powerful, and that you and I have an emotional attachment to money. And we need to do something with our emotional attachment to money because it is power. You know, one of the things that I've seen and heard with families is that there are times in which money gets in the way. Whether it be with couples or when somebody passes away and money and, and people swarm and they have conversations about money and inheritance at the graveside, there is something about the availability and the access to money that can consume our hearts. It is a power. And so the question that we're going to be talking about and that I want you to reflect on today is this one. Are you willing to surrender your money to the authority of Jesus and trust him with your desires? In fact, this is the exact same question we asked last, about, last week about sexuality. Are you willing to surrender your sexuality or your money to the authority of Jesus and to trust him with your desires? Now, I know talking about money is a very tricky thing because we all have our own money story. Some of us grew up very poor, and, and we've had to work really hard to have whatever we have. Maybe some of us grew up a more affluent family, and so we were used to having money. Some of us may have medical debt that is astronomical, but it's what we needed to do in order to have our kid or our family member or ourselves survive. Maybe you're in a messy legal situation, and all of this money that you had has disappeared. Maybe you have embarrassingly gotten yourself into thousands and thousands of dollars of credit card debt. Maybe inflation really, really scares you. Maybe your investments have tanked. And so when we talk about money, it, there is this emotionality that's here. And so I don't know your story, but I know that you have one. And my question is the same, is are you willing to surrender your money to the authority of Jesus and to trust him with your desires? Because Jesus is clear about what we are to do. He says you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. He sets up a direct comparison between following God and serving money. One or the other. You cannot do both. These are two things that have the same goal, which is to get your heart. Now, the word that Jesus uses in Greek is the word mammon, and it's really this idea of wealth, but it's also about this pursuit of money. What are you going to pursue? Are you going to pursue wealth, money, and be consumed with that, or are you going to pursue God? It's a direction, and we have a choice. I'm going to give my heart to God and let money be utilized and use it for God's purposes, or my life and my bent is going to be towards money. Now, Jesus actually had an opportunity to tell somebody how important this is. So one time, a rich, young ruler came up to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? What does it look like to live the life that you want me to have? And Jesus said, you know the commandments, obey them. And he said, all of these I've done since I was young. And he says, oh, by the way, one more thing. Sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And this man went away sad because he had many possessions. And the saddest part is that those possessions had actually possessed him. 
And yet it is the same way for us. I imagine that if I stood up there and I said, hey, the Bible said it, so y'all need to sell and we all need to sell everything we own and give it to the poor. Some of you have been like, well, I think there's other churches in town that have a better news than that. But Jesus is clear. It's about where our heart is and that we cannot just say that money is neutral because we have an emotional connection to what it does. It can control us. It has power. In this book that I'm using as a basis of this sermon series, Money, Sex, and Power by Richard Foster, he writes these words, money has many of the characteristics of deity. It gives us security, can induce guilt, gives us freedom, gives us power, and seems to be omnipresent, seems to be everywhere. And this really is true about money, right? is that whenever our bank's accounts look good, we have security. When the stock market's going the way we like it to, it gives us security. But also it can induce guilt when we spend it the way we don't think is good. Or if people ask us about money or they ask us to give and we think, I wish I had something to give. It gives freedom. It gives power. But it goes on to say that most sinister of all, however, is its bid for omnipotence, for being all-powerful and all-consuming. And in the world in which we live in, and the world that has existed for thousands of years, money is power. And so I was just Googling, like, I wonder what the world says about money. So I Googled money quotes, and then I thought, ooh, I'll show some some images of these. But the first one that, that came out was this one, and it stood out to me. And this is what it says. It says, the money you make, where did it go, is a symbol of the value you create. The money you make is a symbol of the value you create. And I thought, that's terrible. Because I know people who have made money doing terrible things. And I know other people who have not made very much money, but have created immense value in the world. They're called kindergarten teachers, right? And so this is a terrible way of looking at the world, but this is what the world says. The money you make is a symbol of the value you create. That is just not the gospel at all. That's a terrible world to live, but it is an ethos of mammon. You are what you make. You are what your net worth is. You are the possessions that you have. And so we let money rule our lives and we become slaves to it. And I really want us to think about our relationship to money could be like that of slavery because one definition of slavery is continuing to serve under the power of something in order to survive. And we can be enslaved to money because it rules and dominates and decides our life and our future. Two-thirds of the people in America live paycheck to paycheck. Two-thirds of the people live paycheck to paycheck. Now, you may be thinking, uh, and and there are poverty issues and systematic issues that need to be addressed, um, but that is not just people who do not have very much money. In fact, 50% of people who make six figures live paycheck to paycheck. That tells me that it's a hard issue, not always an income issue. And so what happens is, is that you and I, we have the potential to be slaves to money because slave, slavery depends on fear to persist. That, that it really is, we have to, it, the master tells us, if you don't live under my rules and authority, bad things will happen to you. And that's what the, that's what the world says about money. 
that if you do not live under my, our authority and you do not live according to money, then you will be in danger. And so we rely on it for security. We are afraid of what will happen if we lose our job. We're afraid of what will happen if our investments go down. We live in a constant state of fear because money gives us a false sense of security and power. And it also brings with it a lot of guilt and shame. Because I'm probably fairly certain that every person in this room has made a mistake financially. We bought something that was just frivolous. All right, we invested in a way that wasn't good. We, we did something that, that wasn't good or we burned money in front of a bunch of people, right? That we've all made mistakes with money and it's easy to feel shame. In fact, um, there are a lot of us who would never show our finances to another person. In fact, if, if I had the authority and I don't have the authority to say, well, if you're going to be a member of this church and follow Jesus, I either need to see your search history or your bank statement, many of you would be like, eh, my search history ain't that good, but here you go anyways. Because there's so much shame and guilt that comes upon us that if people really knew how much debt we were in, if people really knew that we weren't giving financially to the church, if people really knew how much money I spent golfing, on coffee, on clothes, I should be ashamed. And I would be ashamed. And that's not what God comes to do, is to bring you shame about your money. Instead, he comes to bring us freedom from our money. And so we should be people who bring our finances into light, not with me, but with other people and with each other in the family. In fact, it's one of the common issues with couples is, is about money, um, and we're afraid to talk about it sometimes, even as marriage couples. So choosing Jesus and God's way of money is not easy, but it is essential. And in fact, it is so biblically imperative that we surrender our money over to Jesus that it could be said that it's a salvation issue. I mean, this is what Jesus pretty clearly said, that for Christ, money is an idolatry that we must be converted from in order to be converted to him. The rejection of the God mammon is a necessary precondition to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your security is, there your heart will be also. And so here, the immense, the immense importance of greed on our hearts is very clear biblically. In fact, the only topic that Jesus talked more about than money was the kingdom of God because he knew the danger it was for the people who were living then and the people who would be living for the rest of time. And one of the things that we say Sunday after Sunday is we say that the Bible matters here. And if the Bible really matters here, then what I want all of us in this room and all of us who are watching online to understand is that if I am more concerned about the sexuality of another person than I am about how I am spending my own money and what I am doing with what God has given to me, then I am living wrong. God has called me to take the log out of my own eye instead of the speck out of the other and to surrender my money to Jesus and to surrender my life. It's so easy to look and say what other people should do without confronting our own greediness of heart. And so if we are to be biblical Christians, 
That means that we live life and we surrender life in God's way. And we are called to repent. Because Jesus has come to set us free from the God of mammon. And many of us are entangled by mammon, by the sense of wanting more and of greed that can consume us, and very, very sneakily as well. Now, do you know who, who does not... I don't know when the God of Mammon gets us. Maybe it's when you get your first paycheck and you realize it's good. Maybe it's when somebody hands you money and all of a sudden the green and the power that comes from it. But I don't think we are born living for money. I think it's something that this world teaches us. And I say that because I've had children. And, um, and I've learned some powerful lessons from children. Now, the most selfish individuals in the world are two-year-olds. They are just terrible people, right? What's the first word that most kids learn? Mine, right? They just want stuff, and, and they don't want anybody to have what they have. So they're naturally selfish, but sometimes they can surprise us with their generosity, right? I remember just learning a lesson, and so uh, my oldest son, Micah, he was two at the time, and um, he was in the nursery at the church that we were going to at the time, and somebody, in my opinion, made the mistake of giving Micah two cookies, because what I expected a two-year-old to do is that when he has two cookies, to shove both of them in his mouth as soon as possible. But that's not what Micah did. And at two, year old, two years old, one of the most selfish human beings on the planet, he had two cookies, and he looked over at his friend Nathan, and he took him a cookie. And I thought, if Micah can be that generous, all of us can be that generous. In fact, Jesus says, if you have two coats give one away. This is part of the gospel. And then I got humbled again, not only with the generosity of Micah, but the generosity of my other son, Kaysen. Now, um, last year during Vacation Bible School Week, Kate, our neighbor came to Kaysen and said, would you like to watch our fish and make sure our fish gets fed um, every day? Come in the morning and come in the evening and feed our fish. Kaysen was very, very excited about this, not only because he likes animals, and there was a fish you could pet, which I've never seen before. It was very, very weird um, to, to see a fish that liked to be pet. Um, but, but that also, every time he went over there, um, our neighbor had these like full-size candy bars that he said, you know, so you can feed the fish and you can feed yourself. And so Kaysen loved it for like a week. He went over in the morning, you know, fed the fish their breakfast and got his Reese's for his breakfast. It was a good deal. And then the same thing in the evening, did it back and forth. And so when my, when our, my neighbor came back and um, he, he said, hey, Kaysen, we need to settle up. I thought, well, he already settled up with you. He ate like $20 worth of candy bars during the past week. Um, you know, like that's a good deal. He doesn't need any more. But my, my neighbor um, gave him $30. Um, uh, for feeding his fish. And I thought, son, that's the best hourly rate you're ever going to work in your life, all right? Um, but, uh, I, you know, I let him enjoy that, and um, I went and did something. And, and while I was away, I thought, you know what? It's time for dad lesson mode, right? Like, this would be the time in a sitcom in which the music would change and a lesson would be heard because I knew what, what God was going to have me to do to tell this boy. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to teach him about tithing right here, right now. This is a good dad moment and a good pastor moment. And also, bonus, it's going to teach him about math as well. Because I, I had my whole speech ready. You know that God's been good to you and that we are called to be generous to other people. And so you're given $30. Um, and so why, this was my speech that I was going to give. Why don't you give $3? That's 10%. 
um, to the VBS fundraiser that goes to the, the shoe that, that grows um, that we've done for a couple of years here at our church. And so I had my speech already. And so as I, I sit down and I'm about to, to give him the, 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 the talk um, about money, he said, as I started, he said, Dad, I've already talked to Mom, and I've already decided I'm going to give $20 to the church, and I'm just going to keep 10 for myself. And I thought, oh, you haven't been entangled yet, right? Just, just generosity, because he trusts that there's more where that came from. He trusts that there is more money, that his needs are going to be provided for, that he has more than he needs. He has many of the things he wants. He is not entangled yet from the God of mammon that you and I and so many of us are. So the question is, how do we detach from the God of mammon? At some point in time, we lose that sense of generosity because we've been hit with this. And, and I want to say that this may be the primary obstacle that many of us are facing to our faithful life of following Jesus. I, I was talking with a, a friend one time who had, who had lost his job and was trying to figure out what he was supposed to, to do. And, and, and he had really gotten a lot of peace in a lot of different ways about, okay, that God was going to provide a job and that you know, all, the, all these things were going to be taken care of. Um, but he said that he had a friend who had reached out to him and who said, you know, I feel like the Lord is telling me that there is one thing you haven't given your trust to me yet. There is one thing you're still trying to manipulate and control. And my friend said, I knew exactly what it was. It was money. I had trusted God with purpose. I had trusted God with my family. I had trusted God with everything else. But I had yet to say, God, I know that you will take care of us financially. And that he was doing what he could do to manipulate the money so that it would work out for him. And so I think for all of us, we're like my friend, that we're so easily attached to the security that money can provide. And so we have to detach from the God of man and so we can attach to the God of gods and the King of kings. So the first thing we have to do is that we have to repent. We have to acknowledge that that's us, that we have become attached to the God of man and, and we need to repent and say, Lord, I want to follow your will, your way. That this overwhelming sense of the world that says it's about the money, money, money. That's not what I'm about. And that my trust and my security is not in my ability to make money. And making money is a good thing. But my security is in the fact that God can do it. Now, the second thing that we are called to do is to confess. And now, when I say confess, we don't just acknowledge it in our heads and in our hearts. We say it out loud to at least one other person. Now, that may be your spouse, that may be your best friend, that may be somebody, but if we keep it a secret that we have allowed ourselves to be consumed by the God of money, then it will stay there. But we have to say the words out loud to another person to confess that we have been following the God of mammon in some form or fashion, and that we want to adjust our lives and adjust our finances. Third thing we are called to do is to reorient ourselves and reorient the priorities of our lives and to reframe our relationship with money. It's really interesting what, what it said in, in chapter 6, verse 22. In the middle of, of this text, it says, and this confused me for a while, it said, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. And so what I think this is saying as it relates to our money is that your perspective on God and money all right, is a lamp that provides light for your body. When you see 
God and money appropriately, your whole body is filled with light because you don't carry the weight of guilt and shame and of worry that money can provide. But when your eye, when your perspective on money is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness because you're narrowed your vision down. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And there are some of us who I believe are, have convinced ourselves that the darkness that we're experiencing because we follow the God of mammon is actually light. And we've been living in the cave of mammon for so long that our eyes have adjusted and we think it's bright outside. But that's not the reality that God has. And so we're called to reorient because greed shrinks our vision while generosity expands our horizon. I love the way that Richard Foster says it in his book, and I think this is a really powerful way to reorient ourselves. He says, rather than ask, how much of my money should I give to God? We learn to ask, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? So often when we're faced with giving opportunities or spending opportunities, we ask the wrong question because we are called to be stewards that everything belongs to God. That we, that we do not get to take anything with us. Our treasures are to be in heaven. And so we should ask ourselves, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? Now, I think it's important to note um, that, that I'm not saying the only thing you are called to do is to give. That, that that's the way God wants you to live. But I, I don't think that's it. That there are sometimes the very best thing you can do is to take your family out for dinner and a movie and just enjoy that time being together. That there are vacations that need to be taken, that there, you can have a, a pretty house, you can drive a, a nice car that you do not have to worry about too much. Those are not terrible things, but I think we have to ask ourselves, is this God what you would have me to do with your money? Instead of thinking it's mine, I'm going to choose to trust in God. And part of the way we defeat the God of mammon is that we are people who give and who give generously and consistently. One church I heard about, they used to say it this way, that tithing is not what we as a church want from you, it's what we want for you. Because tithing is a discipline of saying, I'm choosing God, I'm choosing you over, I'm choosing my own money or my own security. It is a discipline of living our lives and reorienting ourselves towards God's way. This is why we encourage people to be generous, not just to this church, but to be generous in all sorts of ways. There's lots of ways that you can give and encourage others through your generosity. And so what I would encourage you is sometimes some of you may be sitting out there and you say, Aaron, gosh, we've got so much debt or my life situation. I can't give 10% right now. That's okay. I would say start somewhere. Start somewhere. So maybe that's 1%. Maybe that's 5%. Maybe that's $20 a week. But start somewhere. But also, here's the equal dan danger, is don't stop anywhere. God has called us to continue to be generous and more and more generous to trust him with our standard of living. The most famous example I know about is the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley. And so John Wesley, um, there was a time in which he made 30 pounds. I don't know if that's good or not, but that's what he made. And so he made 30 pounds. And so he lived on 27 and he gave three. The next year, he made 35 pounds. So what did he do? He lived on 27 and he gave eight. He, get, he made 40 pounds. He made 50 pounds, 60 pounds. He lived on 27 and he gave 33, 43, 53. Something like that. You don't check my math, all right? This is about the heart. 
But how many of us, when our, when our income goes up, our expenses go up at just the same deal? And how many of us are as happy now as we were then? And, and, and so money has a control of us. It, it consumes us. And, and wh- one of the things we noted as we were talking um, as a staff about money is, is we have a stuff problem. Um, and the, so for every housing addition that goes up in this community, two storage facilities go up in this community. It has us. Rust, moth, consume us. But Jesus has a different idea. He wants us to be generous and to not be consumed by money. How freeing would it be to live lives in which we trust in God and that worry about money does not consume us? Because ultimately, you and I and we as a church, we often let money decide things instead of letting God decide things. I love the way that Richard Foster talks about it in his book um, because he talks about who decides. And so we'll just talk about the church and, and you can talk about it. You can think about it from your own personal perspective. But oftentimes as a church, we let money be the deciding factor about what ministries we do, what buildings we do, what opportunities we provide. Well, we would do that, but we don't have the money then we as a church have just sinned because we've let money decide the future and the vision for God's church. Instead, the way that he invites us to look at it is to say, God, you decide. I'm not, we're not going to make financial decisions based on the money. We are going to make financial decisions based on our God. And we're going to trust that where God guides, God provides. And so if he calls us to step out in faith and raise a couple of million dollars to expand our preschool, we're not worried about the money part. We're worried about the vision part. And we'll let God decide whether or not this is the right way to go. If he's calling us to step in faith and to reach new people or to invest in our children or our students, or if he wants to send 60 kids to camp through our church, I'm not going to worry about the money part. Oh, we can only send 42. That's letting money decide. Instead, we're going to let God decide. Now, this doesn't mean that God is always just going to rubber stamp your questions with, yes, go ahead, go to Hawaii. But if we... Let him say, Lord, what is the best thing for our family to do? What's the best thing for our church to do? Who decides? And so are you willing to surrender your money to Jesus and to trust him with your desires? Are all of us willing and ready to do this and to say, Lord, I trust you. And I don't want the God of mammon to get me. I want to be free from that. And so part of what we get to do every the first Sunday of every month is to receive communion because it's a reminder of where our trust and security comes from. It's a reminder of the goodness that we have. It's a reminder of the love that we have, that he has for us, and that he is enough, and that he will provide more than enough for us. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.